This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Mark Green. Mark, thank you for taking us on your career journey. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me today. This is exciting. Kind of interesting to have the mic flipped on me, though, since I'm a podcaster as well, but uh, we'll see how I do. Well, I'm going to keep you on your toes, so you better be ready. Thank you. I will. I will. Well, (laughs) yeah, I was going to say before we find out what you're doing today, but you alluded to that. But let's go ahead and start back at the very beginning. And please tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up? I have no idea. You know what? I've been asked (laughs) that before. And I never, I don't think I had any like vision of what I wanted to be, which is kind of terrible to say on a job or on a a podcast like yours, uh, (laughs) where people need to learn from others. But um yeah, um, you know, I, I think for me, I was always into just trying a lot of different things. That was one of the things that was important to me was what can I try and what can I do this different and what's a new experience I can get involved with. Growing up in Southern California was a fun place to grow up because we were close to the beach. I was really into going to the beach and surfing and being part of that whole thing. And so, uh, yeah, but I wish I had a better answer for you, although when we get a little deeper into this first question about jobs, I think you'll start to see how things kind of started to mesh and go together. Well, what's ironic is people think that's a bad answer, but honestly, it's a great answer. Reason well, being, good. Yeah, Woo. reason being, there's a lot of <laughs> listeners that have the same experience, and I'm one of them. Even if you didn't know what you want to be when you grew up, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, so I love brutal honesty. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to be an F1 driver for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what was your first job? Now, it could be mowing lawns or, you know, doing stuff around the house. Well, I was very entrepreneurial from the start. And I think that came from my father. He grew up on a farm in Texas. He was one of five kids that left Texas and came out west and became an architect. So he had his own architectural firm his entire life. And so I think seeing a dad that worked so hard, I mean, he was always off the work early to his office, home late, weekends. I used to go into his office with him every weekend and hang out with him when he was working. I mean, he just worked all the time. I'm sure that work ethic came from being a farmer in Texas when he was a kid because, as my grandpa once told me, the cows never take a vacation. (laughs) So uh, my first job, I had a good buddy, Steve Fitch, who uh, has become kind of a financier guy in London, lived there for many, many decades. But he and I decided that we wanted to find ways to earn money. My parents weren't into giving allowances. So wow. I had to go out and figure out how to – yeah, they just – they didn't do that. So I had to go out and create my own money. And so when we were about 9, 10, 11 years old, Steve and I came up with all sorts of interesting ways to make money. One was painting bicycles. My dad would take a – I'd take a friend's bike. My dad would take it in and have it sandblasted. And then he'd bring it back. I would paint it pinstripe it. If they wanted extra things like a rat fink artwork on it, I would paint a little rat fink using my model car or uh, testers paint bottles because I, I built a lot of model cars. Um, that was one of the things we did. Um, I also created, Steve and I created a street paper, like a paper for our street that we lived on. And we write wow. stories about people that lived on our street. Now we had to actually 
print them out. There's no computers back then. And we're talking about the 60s. So we had to hand draw everything and hand letter everything. And it was a huge amount of work, but it was kind of fun to interview people on the street. And one of the really crazy things we did was we started something called the Playboy Bar. And <laughs> Wait, wait a second. What year were you when you started the Playboy Bar? How old were you? <laughs> I was like nine or ten years old, but it was a little tamer than it sounds. But what we did was we built a little fort. He had this interesting garage that had this little cutout in it. We built a fort there and we would invite friends. It was only boys were invited. We we didn't no girls allowed, you know, because like the our gay spanking our gang, no girls. And we would invite guys in and we came up with this idea that if we served soft drinks and if we went down to the local Alphabeta grocery store and we bought these big liter bottles of Coke and Sprite and root beer and we would – I drew this big menu, and beer was root beer, and Sprite was uh, vodka, I think. <laughs> we'd mix drinks together, <laughs> and if we put four ice cubes in the glass, we'd make about 20 cents per glass of these drinks. And we had wow. popcorn, and we'd get them thirsty so they'd eat more <laughs> drink, more drinks. And we would clear about 20 bucks a piece every Saturday. We open the, we only are open on Saturdays, uh, the Playboy Bar, so – um, yeah, that was kind of our uh, our fun kid thing to do. But the first real job after that was a paper route. I did that for five years. I don't know how I did that for five years. Get up at 4.30 in the morning and deliver papers. I think I did it because at the end of my route, I would go surfing before I'd go to school. So surfing in the morning was really cool, really fun. So that was kind of a, a, you know, a part of it. But the first real, real, real job let's move from the Playboy bar through the paper route, was I started a detailing business in junior high. Uh, my dad suggested I do that because my next-door neighbor, Mr. Swanser, bought the first 450 SL Mercedes that came out back in nice. the mid-'70s. And um, so I spent all day cleaning that car, and I took it back to him. And I said, well, thanks. That was fun. And I started to walk away, and he said, well, wait a minute. Not, how much do you want for it? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to pay you. I didn't expect you to detail my car for free. I said, you're going to pay me to do that? Well, the light bulb, the aha moment comes on, you know, and he gave me 25 bucks. I went running home and went, Dad, he gave me $25. And my dad said, you know, you look like you had fun doing that. Why don't you start doing that for a job? And so my dad helped me print up some flyers. I put them in my newspapers and handed them out to all my newspaper clients and my detailing career was born, and fast forward, I did that all the way through high school and college. It helped pay for college. Wonderful learning experience. And then I ended up years later working and running uh, Griot's Garage as their president, a company that sells car care products. So there's the circle of life coming back around somehow. Well, you just gave me a lot of information. i got to unpack a couple things here real quick. First off, yeah. I'm a huge fan of your parents and their parental style. You know, I know, I know your dad has, has passed away, but is yeah. your mom still around? Yes, my mom's still around, and she, you know, give her some credit, too. She taught me some incredibly valuable things that I still do today. Well, tell her I'm a big fan because the fact you <laughs> didn't get an allowance and kids were so desperate for even 25 cents back in the day, what do I need to do to get 25 cents? And you showed how that was so beneficial. Well, the other thing I had to ask is at the Playboy Club, you weren't walking around in your PJs with a smoking jacket and a cigar or anything, right? Or a pipe, right? No, no. Okay. Although we did have white sweatshirts that had the Playboy bunny on them. 
<laughs> I don't remember where those came from. I don't even know why. My, my mom probably didn't know I had it. I, she probably would have <laughs> raised her eyebrow to that. But, uh, yeah, that was just one of those funny things that, you know, I mean, it, to this day, Steve and I laugh about that. Uh, we connect every once in a while. He's in London. I'm out here in the Pacific Northwest. But, uh, you know, it, it just goes back to entrepreneurship and figuring out a way. And I think for kids, if you give them an opportunity, like my dad, he helped me create a flyer, a sales piece. And he helped print them. He went went to his office and printed them for me. And I put them in my papers. I asked my paper manager if I could do it. Mr. Bunny, he was a very nice guy. <laughs> um, and because uh, my dad said, you know, that's something people pay for. You can't just do that. You need to ask permission. And uh, But no, I had great parents. I have a great mom still, but awesome parents for sure. That's awesome. Well, if you would, tell us what you do today, as you alluded to earlier, and I'm sure a lot of our new listeners are very familiar with what you do. And if you would, walk us through how you got there, including your past and previous jobs, a few that you just mentioned. Absolutely. So today I produce and host a podcast called Cars Yeah. I've been doing this for about four and a half years. And uh, for your listeners, your uh, your guy here, Greg Stanley, has actually been a guest on my show, guest number 1,193. Gives you an idea of how many shows I've done, closing in on 1,200 here. Um, I started doing this about, well, almost five years ago, four and a half years ago, after I left a position I was at. I was the president of a company called Griot's Garage. I was there for 20-plus years. It's a company that sells high-end products to automotive enthusiasts. That company started as a catalog business and then evolved into online business and grew and grew and grew. Wonderful opportunities for me to play in the field of cars, which I'm passionate about. And before that, I worked for 11 years as a graphic designer, artist, creative director, and a um, actually a sales getter, I guess you'd call uh, at a company called Warner Design in San Diego, where I grew up. And that job was a job I got right out of college. So I started as a graphic designer. And then I very quickly asked my boss, how can I make more money? <laughs> and he said, well, you can go out and be a, an account executive, bring work in. So three days a week, I was a creative guy. And then two days a week, I put suits on and drove downtown San Diego and knocked on doors and tried to land accounts. Uh, wonderful experience. And then the account I landed was Griot's Garage. It was a startup back then. Uh, started doing their work for them, their catalog design. Uh, Richard Grio asked me to come on board, and I joined him, and that's what brought me up to the Pacific Northwest, left my sunny Southern California for rainy Northwest, although it's beautiful today, but it started out raining this morning. Yeah, but the, the Cars Yeah podcast, uh, how I started that, and I'll do it as briefly as I can here, um, is I left Grio's because things had changed there, and I was really a bit of a drift. And the year I'd left, we had a lot of, or I had a lot of tragedy in my life, and we did. My dad fell and broke his neck, uh, should have been killed, according to the doctors. Um, he had a C2 vertebrae break, which he called the Christopher Reeve break. Yeah, wow. Then my mother-in-law got cancer, um, and so we were helping, my wife and I were helping our parents deal with that. And then my wife, turns out, had a uh, tumor growing in her leg that required major surgery and many months of bedridden rehab and recuperation. And so I was trying to figure out something to do that I could do and stay home and help care for my wife because she left her career when I joined Grios and became an at-home mom. She was an engineer before, and now the roles reverse. She she had been at-home mom for 20-plus years. I'd been working and everything, and now I had to care for her. Our kids were grown. My daughter had already finished college, but my son was in college, so I had the pressure of that tuition looming over my uh, head every quarter. And so, <laughs> yeah, which is, it was no small feat. And uh, uh, my son gave me the idea. 
he listened to podcasts and he said, Dad, you know, you've been taking me to car shows my whole life. What's the one thing I tease you about? You can't walk by somebody without asking them about their car and their business. What if you did that for a living? And I went, okay, who makes money going to car shows talking to people? And he said, no, no, no. Try this thing called a podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was. And so long story short, I spent about four months in researching podcasts, listening, going on to YouTube. I know you're a big fan of YouTube. I learned how to build a website. I mean, I'm a good designer. That's my background. So I designed my whole website, but I'd never built one. Coding and all that stuff, which is horrible. Uh, I'll leave that to the experts. But uh, <laughs> I figured it out and I figured out how to record and came up with this whole concept of what I call my mantra, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. I interview inspiring automotive enthusiasts so together we can inspire automotive enthusiasts so they can find a career that's in their field of passion, and that is cars. Because as your show alludes to, so many people, you have to work for a living. Most everybody has to, unless you're a trust fund baby or you just get lucky with the lottery. (laughs) And um, you might as well spend that time doing something you like and enjoy and that's so important, and so many people don't. So many people hate their jobs. And so why spend all that time in your life doing what you don't like? Go figure out a way to do what you like and get paid for it. Sounds easy. It's not, but it's doable. And I've got, well, almost 1,200 people on my show now that you can go listen to that have done exactly that. So uh, that's my story. Well, I'll have to give you tremendous props, as I do when you interview me for your show is your podcast was such an aha moment for me to quote you because I I think there's so many th- cool things about it. First, it's about cars, which is cool. But the way you have it designed was the format for my show, which was, you know, a list set of questions, which in my mind puts the focus on the guest. You yeah. know, it's not a back and forth. It's not kind of without a goal. It puts the focus on the guest, and it keeps it moving. It keeps it inspiring. And I find when I listen to your podcast – I find it very inspirational from a motivational perspective. Take the car piece out of it. Even if you're not a car fan, you should listen to this podcast because I find it very motivational from a day-in and day-out perspective. And then you have the car aspect as well, which is absolutely fantastic. And you got great guests that have very interesting journeys as well. So I owe you a huge thanks because you were that (laughs) aha moment for me. So if you haven't checked out his podcast, be sure to do so. Yeah, it's easy to find me. I have a website. All my shows are there. Every guest gets a show notes page where you can listen to their shows. But I'm also on YouTube. All my shows are listed on YouTube. You can listen there. Um, LinkedIn, I post them all there, of course. And uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. Um, I know Pandora. I just got uh, accepted to be on Pandora. They're going to start doing podcasts. I mean, podcasts are everywhere, and they're just so easy because you can listen to them any time of the day. But thank you for your kind words, Greg, because that was my goal. I I want to inspire other people to go figure out a way to do what is rewarding to them because I've had too many friends in my life to just hate their jobs. They they. Some of them are very successful, wealthy people, but they don't like what they're doing. And it's just life's too short because when you get to be my age, a lot of people, you know, start dying. And you go, well, that's (laughs) a little extreme. But, you know, I have a lot of Facebook followers and every week somebody passes away. Right. And it just reminds you that life is fragile. And this time that we are rewarded with, uh, you need to do something that is important to you. And if you can figure out a way to do that and give back, then you've figured out the secret sauce to life. 
Right. No, exactly. And I'm going to take a page out of your podcast. What is one of the most challenging and the most rewarding aspects of your job? Probably the monetization part of it and growing an audience. Um, That is just a whole lot of work. And I knew this before, but doing podcasting is even more true. There's no such thing as an overnight success. You see people who are successful, they might be in music or whatever field of medicine, whatever. What you don't see is all the work that got them to that point. And you just look at them as they are today and you think, wow, you just like do what you do. You're magic and you're just successful and wealthy and famous and that must be easy. Well, no. Uh, I think it was a famous uh, honky-tonk Western musician that said, I'm an overnight success. It just took 20 years of overnights in honky-tonk bars playing to get there. Uh, (laughs) Willie Nelson, I believe, said that. But uh, yeah, I think that's the hardest. Well, I don't think I know. That is the hardest part because trying to find an ear from people in a world right now that is so just massively heavy on everything. I mean, you think about in when I was a kid, or even maybe when you were a kid, there was just television. And even when I was little, there was only three stations. Yeah, can you believe it? Three stations. (laughs) And uh, now there's so many things vying for our attention. And so many, you know, shiny stars that come in front of you and go, oh, you know, it's like squirrels to a dog. Oh, there's one. There's one. Oh, and people's (laughs) attention span is so short these days. I mean, look at how we get our news. I'm just shocked that people think that getting their news on a Facebook feed is enough to really know what's going on. So that's probably the biggest part is, yeah, growing the audience, finding sponsors. And I just tell people, you just have to keep doing what you're doing. Stay consistent. Be aware of what's going on. Listen to your followers, what they're saying to you. Some of them may not be so nice. Maybe you don't want to listen to them, but uh, listen to what they're telling you and try to keep figuring out who is your audience. Create that avatar, as I call it, that specific person you want to talk to. I mean, I wrote down, my avatar is like three pages long. I know the guy's name. I know where he went to college. (laughs) I know what his wife's name is, his kids. I know what's parked in his garage. But the point being is know who you're talking to. And I think the other part of it is niche down these days because trying to become an Amazon, good luck. I don't think you can keep up with that guy. So what's the most rewarding aspect of your job? Now, outside looking in, I'm like, man, this guy's talking to cool car people. He's going to car shows. He was at Pebble Beach for a week. You know, he's (laughs) got a TV show coming out. He hung out with, uh, what's his name, Uh, Daryl and... Oats. (laughs) Oats. <laughs> John Oates. Yeah. John, John Oates, Oates hung out with John Oates. I'm like, yeah. all right, I see a lot of rewarding things going on. But what in your mind is the most rewarding aspect of your job? Well, there's a couple things. One is, although I was kind of my own, I was the president of Grios. So I was kind of my own boss there. So being your own boss is very rewarding. Uh, but there's also the other flip side of that. You don't have anyone to answer to. So if you screw up, there's no one to blame except yourself. <laughs> right. uh, really, the most rewarding for me are the interesting people I get to talk to every day. It's just, Sometimes I have to pinch myself. Uh, I know today as we're recording this show, I've already done four shows today. You were one of them that I did. Um, The other people, I was in Florida. I was in Turin, Italy. I was in Ohio, I think, with you. And forget where the other one was. Uh, I mean, I'm all over the place. Uh, getting to talk to people and, and listening to their story and how they got to where they got to and inspiring others through that story, that is the most rewarding. And, of course, when you get people who write to you and say, you changed my life. I decided to make a change for the better. Here's what I'm doing now. I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't heard you. I mean, that you just go, wow. I, I really reached out and touched somebody in that way and, and bettered their life. 
But you know what? Cars like are just the catalyst to the people. And while I am a diehard car fanatic, it's really the people. So when I go to Pebble Beach or Car Week for a week and I get to go to all those events, it's like a giant family reunion. I've been going for 30 years now. Or SEMA. I just came back from SEMA. I can't walk a few steps without seeing somebody I know. And the other side of it is now that I'm growing in my podcast, people come up to me and go, are you Mark Green from Cars? Yeah. Could I get a picture with you? I'm like, really? You want a picture with me? That's weird. That's pretty fun, too, because you know that you're reaching people. You're making a difference. And I'll look at my my feeds and go, wow, you know, this many thousand people listen to my show today. Twenty two of them were in Cambodia. Really? Wow. Cambodia? <laughs> it's just so bizarre, but so cool because, uh, you know, you're you're changing some lives in a positive way. That is super re- rewarding. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you that's what I really enjoy about this podcast as well. And a lot of people, when I ask them to be on the show, they're like, well, my career journey is really not that exciting. I'm like, all career journeys are exciting. It's your yeah. journey. It's your adventure. If you had these crazy turns and maybe some failures along the way, that even makes it more fascinating. So, yeah, I I really can feel what you're going through and how much enjoyment you get from your podcast. I can totally align with that. That's awesome. Well, you you touched on this briefly, but could you walk us through your average week? It used to be average (laughs) day, but I find that's too weird. You know, for people to answer. So I'm going to have to go with the average week. Well, average week. Well, I get up super early. Maybe that comes from my paper route days way, way back. But I'm usually at my desk by 6 in the morning. And uh, my first block of time is spent reaching out to that day's guests, letting them know their show's ready to go. Here's how they can access it. Then I post the show up to all my social media uh, venues. Uh, Then after I've got that done, I'll typically do a little bit of time on social media. I try to not spend as much time as I probably do on that because it gets kind of ties you up a little bit. And then I I have a set things I do during the week. One is reaching out to people. So typically I pick one day a week that I send out emails and I'm sending out anywhere between three and 500 emails a week. And these are people that I'm looking for to be on my show. I've either first contacted, I've contacted them multiple times or I'm following up with them, but I try to batch the day. So I try to do one thing in a certain block of time and then move to the next because if you have too much open and too many things are coming at you, you're constantly being geared off in one other direction or another direction and then you go, wait, what was I doing back then? And I, I just don't think that multitasking, while we were probably taught that was good 20 years ago, I don't think it's a good thing at all. Right, so right. I try to batch. Uh, the other thing I used to do is I have editing for shows, so we have to do that. Um, also, uh, I do some a blog every week. On Tuesdays, so I have to write my blog on Mondays. My goal is to be able to read it in less than a minute. So it's very short, sweet, very focused on cars and some type of a uh, inspirational comment or thought about how to live your life or work in some way. Uh, I do another email campaign every Friday, which is a follow-up, and that's where I'll put some of my sponsors in there. Um, I try to find a batch of time, or I do find a batch of time, to reach out to potential sponsors. I'm always chasing a potential sponsor and so forth. And then if there's other things that are in the mix of that, um, I try to spend a little time exercising every day. I've not been very good about that, quite honestly. I just recently have committed to getting back into spending that hour every day for me. It's a hard thing for me to do, and I don't quite understand why. It doesn't make sense. It's like, why wouldn't I want to take care of me? But I always feel guilty taking time away from work. I don't get it. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I'm trying to change that mindset. 
uh, obviously it's very important and especially uh, the older you get. But uh, yeah, and it's uh, my day usually ends at six. My wife will come home at six and uh, I'll start making dinner. I try to make dinner. She makes dinner sometimes. Um, she's working again out of the house. So there's another big weird flip in our lives. So she doesn't like me taking over her kitchen, but she doesn't complain when I make her dinner. So that, you know, that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a busy long day, but I've just, I'm trying to be better and better about batching things and turning everything off except for just what I do there. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I do record shows with people. That's kind of important. Uh, the most I've ever done in a week is 19. Uh, my minimum goal is five, and I typically will do about twice that. I think this week is a short week because I leave tomorrow to go shoot. Uh, we'll talk about this later uh, TV show that I'm doing. So I've got to cram five days worth of work into three. Uh, so uh, I think I'll get to nine this week. Yeah, I think. You know nine. what I'll do is I'll I'll ask you a year from now with the TV show. You know that's going to launch, and we can talk about that in a minute. What does your week look like now? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, you know, I'm trying to figure that one out. Yeah. You know, here's the deal um, is you find people to do the stuff that you don't do as well or you don't want to do. And as your business grows and you have money, you hire people to do that stuff. That's, 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 that's the obvious smart. answer there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, before we move on to our next question, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Do you enjoy your job and find it fulfilling? Or do you spend more time wondering what if instead of what's next? If so, contact Career Spa. Career Spa has extensive programs and curriculum and understands the challenges faced by individuals in transition. They can teach these success practices to be mastered for an effective job search. Answer that what if question by contacting Career Spa and asking their experts what's next. Contact Career Spa at careerspa.net. Talent acquisition is key to building a successful organization. Talent Connections is a professional services firm that specializes in recruiting, including executive search, contract recruiting, talent acquisition consulting, and recruitment process outsourcing. Whether you are an individual or a Fortune 100 company, Talent Connections can connect you with success. Contact them at talentconnections.net. Well, welcome back. We just learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which you didn't know what that was going to be, and then what <laughs> yeah. you actually do today, which is an automotive podcaster. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Wow. Is this kind of the question about advice for the younger me? It is, and this is one of those questions kind of like your question. You know, if I could be any car in the world, what would it be? It's kind of unfair, but you got to yeah. answer it. Yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, a little my medicine back in my own face. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, you know, um, there's a couple things. I think one is be yourself and don't feel like you have to conform to what others perceive you to be. And that can go back to your childhood. Very hard thing to be when you're a kid because you're trying to conform. You're trying to blend in. You're trying not to stand out. You're trying to, you know, not be picked on by everybody else. But try just to be more myself and not feel like I've got to wear the right clothes or do the right thing or, or hang with the right people just be what I want to be. And I think the other big thing, and I've drilled this into my kid's head, is save and invest more. And I'm talking about money in your future. Uh, I would have done a lot more of that because you never know what's coming. And if you always think, oh, I'll have time later, that time you have when you're young is so powerful to the compounding of income and investments for your future. That's one thing I definitely would have done more. I probably would have, dare I say, not buy as many fancy cars. 
Um, no, no, don't say that. <laughs> can I say that? I don't know if I can say that and even be honest with myself. But I, if I if I could go back and knew now what I knew then, yeah, I definitely would have saved and invested more in myself from a monetary standpoint. Uh, absolutely. One of the best things my mom ever did for me is she's like, when you get a 401k, max it out the first year. And from then on, you'll get used to living on that amount of money and you'll never right. miss it. And yeah. she was so correct. And yep. I thanked her many years later for giving me that type of advice. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to put your money in fancy cars anticipating an investment dividends. No, but, no. You know, you no. without your 930 Porsche Turbo, that would be a horrible thing. So I'm well, glad you did Spurs I for got, that back in the day. <laughs> well, thanks. I got lucky because all the collector cars I've had, I've actually made really good money on. And it's not by design. Uh, right. It's it's literally just because I picked a car that was very popular. I bought the best I could afford. I took very good care of it. And being in the car world, people knew about it. They know me. They know I'm just a nutcase when it comes to caring for my car. So I've been really, really fortunate there. But I always tell people, don't buy a car because you think you're going to make money, unless that's your business. But for most people, it's not. Buy the car you like and you will enjoy because you might get stuck with it. Right. Great words of advice. <laughs> well, let's make the assumption that someone in our audience wants to do what you do, to be a podcaster. And you touched on this a little bit, but what advice would you give them? Is there a typical career path? And I think you and I both know there is probably not. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, but I think the first thing you need to do is learn about it. So you need to either join a podcast group or talk to people who are podcasters. I did that. I, I First thing I did is I started calling people and trying to talk to people who were successful podcasters. It was kind of hard because a lot of them didn't, they were so busy, they didn't have time to talk to me. But I did join a podcast group through a, a very successful podcaster named John Lee Dumas, uh, his podcast Paradise Group. It's become much more expensive now to be a part of it, but back then it was not too bad. And I learned a lot from him. It got me ahead of the curve very, very fast. But, you know, it's like anything. You need to go talk to people who've done it, and you need to observe and watch. And the great thing today is you can go and listen to thousands of podcasts and try to get an idea of how people do things and what they're like. But the best advice I was given early on was don't try to be like someone else. Be you. Just be you. And niche down because it's hard to be an expert in all fields. And I'm seeing that now a lot on the social media. All these people who are coaches, let's say, business coaches. And I'm looking at them going, you're 25 years old. How the hell do you know anything? I mean – you want to be a coach? Oh, who? What business have you run? Right. What experience uh, do you have? <laughs> what experience do you have? And and a lot of it, I kind of chuckle because they're just regurgitating what I heard back when I was young from Tony Robbins when he started his his business. It's just a rehashing of the same old stuff in their own way. Nothing wrong with that because honestly, Tony Robbins was a client of mine when I was in advertising. And I asked him once, how do you learn all this stuff? And he goes, I just read a lot of books. I took the best information out, and I repackaged it into my delivery system. <laughs> I went, right. yeah. wow. And that's what he's done. And he's done a phenomenal job, too. So, um, yeah, so that's what I would advise. But you need to find out what you're good at, what you're passionate about, because people in your field of career, if you're trying to fake it, they'll, they'll smell you out really fast. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, and, and we've all seen that when you look at these people that are pitching, oh, how to get rich quick. And you look at the background, the house and the cars and all this stuff and you're going, OK, something doesn't smell right here. 
<laughs> if it doesn't smell right, it's probably rotten. So Right, yeah. Well, did you have a mentor? And if so, how did they influence your career? Well, for my podcasting, not really other than I mentioned John Lee Dumas, although I never met the guy. I talked to him once for like five minutes. Um, I just watched what he has done. He's been very successful. So I went, well... I'll take Tony Robbins' advice. I'll kind of look at what he's done, try to repackage it into my delivery system and try to be what he is, has been. But uh, no, I, I, I really didn't. Um, I wish I could say that I did because I think mentors are really important. I think I have a self-imposed problem with people's time. I, I, and that means using people's time. I value time in a massive way. I think it's our most important equity that we own because it goes by so fast. And I really have tried to do a better job of reaching out to people to be mentors. But at the same time, I probably blow the whole thing just by not wanting to bother them. Um, right. I'm a mentor to a lot of people. So I do the other side. I do spend a lot of time helping people that are trying to do things. And I'm happy to do that because it's what my my whole podcast is all about. But uh, I think it's an important thing. And it's something even at my age, I still need to work on. Well, you've become an informal mentor to me, whether you like it or not. So I do appreciate cool. it. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for allowing me to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share? Well, yeah, we talked and alluded to the Cars Yeah TV show. I was approached uh, about a year and a half ago by Discovery and then Velocity about doing a show and we had something going. Everything was kind of on track. And then Velocity went through this weird deal at the end of last year. I didn't know what was going on at the time. Well, now we know. Velocity is now owned by Motor Trend. So TV world works very slowly. And so all the people I was working with vanished. They went away. The whole TV show kind of – we had shot two shows. It went on hold. And I'm like, oh, well, there's my TV career. Before it even <laughs> got on the air, it's over with. And so – um I'm working with uh, a gentleman who's an executive producer who's been doing this. And he said, you know what? I pitched your show to Mav TV and they really like it. And they would like to pick it up and put you in Dave Despain's spot on Sunday nights. And I went, cool. He said, the only thing is we have to bring our own sponsors. And I went, oh, that's so cool. How do you sell <laughs> sponsorships for a show that doesn't exist? Very hard to do. And that's what we've been working on. So um, after we do this show today, tomorrow I leave to go shoot two more episodes we were going to launch this fall, but we did not have enough sponsors set, set up. So once again, everything got kind of moved to first quarter next year, and that's when we're hoping to launch. But basically, the TV show is going to be what my podcast is, but you're going to get to see everything. And I've had a fair number of listeners say, gosh, why don't you do a TV show? This would be so cool. Yeah, why don't you send me some money? So I can <laughs> TV is <laughs> right. super expensive. And so, uh, fingers crossed, um, we'll be able to launch first quarter or spring of next year at the latest with, we have a, a one year, actually I think they give us two years. So we've got 13 episodes for the first year we need to put together. That's, that's really not the hard part. I've got almost 1200 people to choose from that I can go do TV shows with. So that's not really the hard part, finding people to shoot and so forth. It, it's, it's getting all the money behind. It's kind of like racing. You can be a really talented driver, but if you're not bringing sponsors to the game, you're not going to be a race car driver. So, yeah, uh, yeah but I'm excited about it. And uh, as I tell everybody, I'll believe it when I turn on the TV and I see myself. That'll be a weird deal. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's another adventure. And even if it, if it doesn't pan out well or audiences don't like it, I can say, you know what? We tried something. We did it. What did we learn from that? That was a pretty cool experience. And how can we take that forward? The other part of it is doing this through MAV-TV 
I'll own the the show so I can take it and sell it to other venues like Sony Global perhaps or Worldwide Ventures. Uh, we can put it on my YouTube page, get audiences there. I mean, there's so many different ways you can do things nowadays. That's pretty cool. And TV viewership is kind of on a decline anyway in many markets unless they're they're keeping up. And that's what's neat about MAV is they're into streaming and um, it's an all automotive network anyway. So that's where people go to find their racing and so forth. So I'm excited about it. Can you give us a little peek under the tent as far as where you're traveling to? Well, the first couple of shows we did, one was with uh, one of my guests, uh, Lance Stander from Superformance down in Orange County, California. Lance mm-hmm. builds continuation Daytonas, right? Daytona, GT40s, Grand Sports, uh, Corvette Grand Sports, a new car that they just launched at SEMA, um, Daytona Coupes. And so I got to go down there and shoot a day with Lance and uh, and his folks. I mean, just an incredible operation, incredible story. You can listen to his story on my Cars Yeah podcast, Lance Stander, Super Performance. Go to their website. That was pretty cool. Got to drive a GT40, which was pretty neat, uh, kind of fun. So that was the first show. And then we did a show with uh, Nicholas Huntsiker, who is an automotive artist, very talented friend of mine. Uh, we went to his gallery. We drove his cars talked about how to create a career in the automotive artwork venue. If you want a hard job to be successful, go be an automotive artist. Uh, He's done a tremendous job of being uh, financially successful in that realm. Uh, Very cool. Nicholas Huntsiker. He's also one of my sponsors for my podcast, so uh, he supports me on the other end. So there's a couple, too, we've done that the two we're about to do. I'm going to keep that a little bit of a secret right now, but uh, one of them is a builder. Actually, they're both builders, but very different car venues. So we're going to go off-road maybe and on-road maybe. Oh, okay. That's a nice tease. I like it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kind of fun. Well, as with most journey, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And since you know I'm a huge car enthusiast, could you tell us what was your first car? Well, my first car was the 1967 Chevy Nova, but I'm going to say that didn't count because the way I got that car was my neighbor up the street was a general manager of City Chevrolet in Mission Bay, San Diego. I grew up in uh, La Jolla, California, which is a little north of San Diego, really nice little beach community. And he called my parents and he said, hey, are you going to buy Mark a car? My dad said, well, we told him we would match whatever funds he came up with. And he said, I've got a car I just took in trade that is a really nice car, low mileage, and I'd like to offer it to you and Mark uh, for really cheap. And so my dad said, hey, we're going to go this weekend and look at a car that Mike Brown has. And I'm thinking, ooh, Chevrolet, Corvette, Camaro. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. Well, in the back lot, we walk up to this four-door 1967 Chevy Nova Still got the plastic seat covers with the little bumps on them from the 60s. Your your younger listeners have no clue what I'm talking about, but that's what they used to put on seats to protect them. This car looked brand new, but it was a grainy car. I mean, I was like, I was trying to be positive because I knew Mike was doing me a huge favor. Sold it to me for, I think it was $350. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I, I don't know what he took in trade, but... He put new tires on it, a new battery. I mean, it was a swinging deal. And I was trying to be real positive, but the other part of me was like going, my friends are going to be (laughs) calling me a joke. And so it turned out to be a cool first car because I was a surfer. So it was four-door. It put racks on it. It could take five of my friends surfing. Um, It was reliable. It was an automatic. I mean, it was just, you know, it was a good basic car. But Was it seafoam green? It was. It was a Hey, metallic. I've been like two for two on guessing color so far. <laughs> it was awesome. metallic 
blue green yeah it was wow. exactly that color yeah and uh it was actually a very nice car but i sold that car for like three times what i paid for it within a year and i bought a 67 carmen Ghia. and that was really my first like poor man's porsche that car i liked yeah that was a cool <laughs> those car. are going up in value now those yeah are... but you know they're like old vws that they'll never really be highly collectible highly expensive right. so cars. many of them there's yeah. just too many made and honestly most of them all rusted away anyway. But uh, that Kia, I promptly stripped it all apart, redid the whole bodywork, repainted it, rebuilt the motor up to like a 2110cc motor with dual Delardo. I mean, did the whole thing. Uh, turned it into my, again, my uh, poor man's Porsche. And I drove that all the way up into college. That's great. Well, what is your dream car? And I, I think I know what they are, but tell our well, listeners. Uh, let me clarify this. When you say dream car, are you talking about a driver or a collectible? Whatever, however you define it. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> can I have more than one? No, just one. Ah, dang. <laughs> you really did pull my own trick on me, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'll I'll start first by saying I'm a Porsche fanatic, so I've always loved Porsches. So if I had to narrow it down, I'd probably pick between a 550 Spider. that's a, a late 50s car, the car James Dean died in, a 58 Speedster, because I was born in 58, and I love the Speedsters. A uh, 74 RS Carrera, because I love those old long hood cars. And also uh, a Singer Porsche. We talked about Rob Dickinson and the Singer Porsche. He's doing a, a very custom Porsche car that you, you just have to look up Singer Porsche, and you won't believe what he's doing. It's just incredible. But I think today... I'm going to say I've always wanted to go buy a brand new Porsche. And wow, I never I did I, not see that one coming. I know. I, I thought I'd throw you a curve today, Greg. So <laughs> uh, I've always wanted to go buy a new Porsche. And every time Porsches come out or I've been in a position where I could afford it, there's always been something else like kids' college or, you know, I shouldn't be spending that much money right now because something's going to change or blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm listening to your mom's voice going, save, save, right. save, don't spend. <laughs> But if I could go buy any car today, I would go order a brand new Porsche Turbo S. A Turbo S. Okay, a Turbo I, I would have guessed a GT3 RS with the touring package. Well, I thought that might be the one, but I'll tell you what. I've known a lot of people with the GT3s, the GT3 RSs, all those cars. Wonderful track cars. Horrible to drive around the streets. Too rough. Too I'd rough, right? I'd say horrible, but they're just not comfortable cars, and they're designed for the track. And honestly, where I live in the Pacific Northwest, there's no speeding up here. There's The Highway Patrol has unmarked cars everywhere. You just can't speed. It's not like Southern California where you can go 80 and a cop will wave when you pass them. So the Turbo S from my friends who have had GT3s and then go to the Turbo S, say it's everything that car is, but it's comfortable. Oh, there you go. But this car would be highly optioned and it would be a very unique color. I'm not sure what it would be, but something paint to sample that nobody else has kind of to go with my, you mentioned I have an 87 Porsche turbo in my garage. Now that's a pink sample in metallic orange, one of only three ever painted that color from the factory. So yeah, I, I want a turbo S today, brand new. So, uh, just send a check, Mark Green, and it costs you about two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. I think maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And well, that's a lot cheaper than some of the other uh, options you uh, listed off there. So yes, I definitely. Feel, for, feel that, fortunate. Yeah. Spiders are up in the four and five million dollar range. So, <laughs> and if I bought a new Singer, I'm going to spend over a million bucks now. So yeah. 
Oh, that's just crazy. Well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world, I would love to buy a really cool company car. And normally this is based on your position as a podcaster. So I try to kind of figure out, formulate what would equate to a podcaster. But I'm doing it different for you. So Okay. Reason being is I've listened to enough of your podcasts to know you're such a Porsche file. Yeah. I'm going to give you three cars and, uh, and you have to pick. Oh, okay. Well, it's going to be tougher than you think. It's going to okay. be tougher than you think. All, All right. right. So okay. you've, you've already mentioned two of them. Yeah. 1973 Porsche RS. Wasn't that one of them? Well, I I, I went a step up. I went to the 74 RSR. So um, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. We'll go with the RSR. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, the 550 Spider you mentioned, yeah. and the curveball is the John Wilhoyt Beck Spider that you sold without telling your son. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> well, since I've already, you know, I look at old cars as like old girlfriends. The memory's better than going back. You can never <laughs> go back, and you never should either, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not going to go back to the Beck, although I love nothing more than to hand that car's keys over to my son and say. There's the car that we took that magical five-day trip up the coast in when he was only eight years old. Oh, my goodness. I think I'm going to have to go with the RSR. Um, I can't believe I'm saying that because the 550 has been like a uh, – nope, it's got to be the – it's going to have to be the RSR. That's the one that when I had Spike Fairston on my show, the car matchmaker guy, He uh, that's the car he picked for me. And I think – yeah, I think with my I raced cars for twelve years, vintage cars, so I like the racing deal. And that car is a street car that you can race, so I'll go with that. I'm sticking with that answer. Okay, and you can build new memories with your son with that car. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I I will have to point out that those two cars that you were struggling with, they're both really rough riding on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. Uh, yeah, especially up here these roads with all the rain we get. So. Uh, yeah, but, you know, the track's close by. I've got a couple racetracks close by here, so I can always go do that. There you go. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your journey. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and your podcast? Well, Greg, thank you for spending some time with me today. This is really great. And thanks for being a guest on my show. I'll remind the listeners you can go to carsyeah.com and you can find Greg's show. He was my 1,193rd guest. That's a good place to find Cars Yeah, my website, but you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram. I have two Facebook pages, Mark Green and Cars Yeah. Please follow me there. And you can find me on all the major mobile podcast apps. I'm at LinkedIn. I've got a YouTube page with all my shows. I'm all over the place. So Cars Yeah is very easy to find. I'd like to offer a little gift to your listeners here. If you go to my website, and click on the free book button. I'll send you my filler-up book. It's a book I designed and I created from some very cool pictures I've taken of gas caps. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but these are gas caps like you've never seen. Some from some very They're works cool of art. Pictures. They are works <laughs> of art. And I've laced some very cool inspirational quotes into the book. So just click on the free book button. You fill it up. And the great thing about getting the free filler-up book is you will get my weekly blog. And again, I promise not to clog your uh, inbox. It's a blog you can read in one minute. It combines business with cars, with inspiration. And, um, yeah, and if you are a subscriber, you get some cool gifts because, like, this week I'm giving away six very cool car books uh, to listeners and subscribers. I'm in the holiday spirit. So, uh, yep, that's all the places <laughs> you can find cars, yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today, Mark. Thank you, Greg. This was great fun. 
Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.